0: This episode is brought to you by Spironi. Revolutionize your shop floor with Spironi, where cutting edge technology meets craftsmanship. Elevate precision, amplify productivity. Spironi. Experience, tradition, the future. Hello and welcome <laughs> back to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Mayer, and we're the go-to place for everything about culture and in- driving change in the manufacturing industry don't forget to check us out at manufacturingculturepodcast.com and follow us on linkedin facebook instagram whatever your favorite social media is for more engaging updates and and content uh i I need to give a big shout out to our sponsor speroni they're a huge reason that we're able to do these kinds of remote interviews um On-site today at WIMTS 2023 in Milwaukee. Um, This has been an absolute wild experience so far. Uh, But today we're going to really try and crank up some excitement. Uh, I need to know if you're ready to surf the wave of AI and automation. Because our next guest absolutely is. His name is Matt Kownick. And he's the owner of Left Hand Engineering. Based in the beer and cheese paradise of Milwaukee wisconsin uh matt is not your typical engineer he's an absolute engineering maestro he bridged the gap between logic and creative thinking in a way that has wisconsin manufacturing companies saying give us more please he's got the midas touch when it comes to new and existing product development continuous improvement and project management but that's not all capital expenditure, products process flows technical sales production metrics that's your guy And talk about a trifecta of passions, water skiing, manufacturing, and beer. Yes, sir. All right. That's what led him to Milwaukee. It's like he took a water ski jump right into the heart of manufacturing innovation. When he's not engineering the future, he's probably cutting through the Wisconsin waters or enjoying a local brew, all while contemplating the next big thing in AI. He comes back by a powerhouse of uh, talented engineers and product development specialists at left-hand engineering, all who share his entrepreneurial mindset. Because, hey, thinking like a business owner never really goes out of style, right? Matt graduated from Iowa State University of Science and Technology, where he honed his mechanical engineering skills and probably dreamed up a robot or two. So buckle up and hold tight, folks. We're about to navigate the exciting world of AI automation and how to revolutionize your manufacturing game with none other than Matt Kaunick. Matt, welcome to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Thank you. You are the first guest that I've gotten technology to actually work there you here go. at the show. So <laughs> I really appreciate you being here today. Uh, how's the show been for you so far?
1: It's been good. This is, this is the first booth for me, as a as a company, okay, awesome. So I've done a bunch of trade shows with other customers, with other uh, employers or employees throughout the year. So I know I know the cadence. I know what you need to do, but I've never done it myself. Got it. Uh, a mentor of mine who's actually speaking here tomorrow. Uh, he's like, "Hey, um, Wisconsin's they're having their manufacturing and tech expo. You should do a booth. That's awesome." And so, regardless if it's fruit for fruitful or not it's it pushed us to develop a bunch of marketing materials get us ready that next layer of polishing of yeah. company of as I, I keep telling my marketing director annie the 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 pitches that i'm working on in person they're just not quite tight enough yet where <laughs> you it. make that like full impact of oh i get it yeah the content's there but man you got to mince these words in just the right way yeah. to get someone's attention
0: i i will say she did a great job on that she, booth. Yeah, I mean, you guys both did, right? I, it, I was all, it was all it was all her. her. Yeah. Yeah. She did a beautiful job. That booth amazing. And I just tried some of the salsa that you had there. My taste buds are recovering. Yeah. I don't know if I will actually taste any food I eat in Milwaukee this evening because I think it scorched off like the top but of the skin.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're we're big salsa connoisseurs, and one of my customers, they're, they're down by uh, Milwaukee Airport, a company okay. by the, by the name of Cri. Fabricators, uh, we're doing a big process flow value stream for one of their main customers, and their lead guy, Ricardo. We were having chips and salsa break <laughs> one day, and like, Ricardo, this is awesome. Where'd you get this? And he's like, my wife made it. That's awesome. So when we were brainstorming ways of how can we, the, the trade show can be so tiring, it can be over, overwhelming, stim over-stimulating. and he was like, how can we get some better ambiance of just some kind of Zen of like, let's hang out and talk. Yeah. And I thought, why don't we just try to bring chips and salsa? I I,
0: I love it. I don't see it happen a whole often, right? Where where people bring that kind of stuff here. Uh, so we
1: don't we don't know if it's totally kosher, but you know that's the entrepreneurial way you go right. until somebody says that. that you've <laughs> got to stop. Right? Like, yeah.
0: You're you're doing it well. So. Matt, tell us uh, more about left-hand, right? So when I when you reached out, um, actually, I think I reached out first and just said, hey, I'm going to be recording here, um, and you reached back out. I looked up left-hand engineering. Sure. You guys have not only an engineering side that I want to hear about, but also a different side. So sure. tell us all about left-hand engineering.
1: Yeah, it's where to start. It, we we started, I always like to take the full step back of um where, where am I going? Why am I trying to get there? And I think we mentioned this over the phone quickly is for me, I want to be able to help people. Yeah. Uh, I want to show up for people important in my life. And then I want to be financially independent as quickly and sustainably as possible. I love that. So I view helping people as job creation and job create, let's build businesses around solving problems. Yeah. So all the way back into school, I had gone through a couple internships engineering wise, like, Hey, this whole problem solving thing is cool, but I think it's where it's really at is building a business around. Okay. So I looked at my dad growing up, he was always around. And we grew up down in Illinois and everyone in their everyone and their uncle worked for Motorola. This was when Motorola was going nuts. Okay. And we all lived in the same size house, nice neighborhood. Yep. But they were always gone. Travel.
0: My um, dad was
1: home at dinner every night. And so I was like, I want to be able to replicate for that. Or yeah. I want to be able to replicate that for my future family. And um, so I realized he runs his own business. And I was like, hey, I, I think Iowa State has this new minor in entrepreneurial studies. Yeah. They'll take an extra semester in reality. What do you think? And he's like, let's go for it. So awesome. it totally, I mean, it flipped my world upside down. That's completely cool. changed how to look at the world. Yeah. And uh, so came out of school and. Had the full intent of when I have an opportunity to start something, I'm going to. Yeah. I just didn't know when. And so an opportunity fell into my lap. I was at the time we were running this side hustle called Vital Designs. Okay. And it was an outdoor product company that makes replacement lids for your Nalgene water bottle. Really? It's very niche. Very niche. Very niche. Uh, but the, the number one failure part, point of those bottles is the cap. The lid breaks really? all the time. Okay, yeah, these things see are that. bomb-proof. Yeah. Uh, so, buddy and I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we redesigned it and made it uh, more durable? And then with really? that, we we built in like a bottle opener. We added paracord. Uh, we there's a little five millimeter uh, screw thread insert, so you can do your GoPro. That's awesome. The the concept was, hey, you have this water bottle with you every day. Let's make it do more. Yeah. So while we were building that running our, or doing our corporate jobs, we got exposed to the world of small business. And at the same time, we're doing all this product development back in the maintenance shop and talking with vendors and suppliers. And I had an opportunity fall into my lap, uh, a company, they needed help in the world of sheet metal architecture. Uh, and they said, Hey, uh, we know you're looking to grow this other company. We need part-time help. Why don't you come on and start? That's awesome. So that started left-hand engineering and uh, we've been running since we've primarily been probably the past five years. And it was strategic of I want to be able to cut my teeth as a legitimate engineer, do some legitimate projects, bring some products to market yeah, to show that we're technically competent and yeah. see the whole picture. Uh, and then once I felt I had got to a good turning point, we started looking at, hey, what's what's the next opportunity? Cool. So we've we've got a nice base in product development process improvement call that very entrepreneurial yeah. engineering. And we kind of fill this niche of, I see business owners as wearing one of two hats, typically sure. at the same time, yeah. operations and then sales and marketing. Yeah, And so we like to partner up with a company that, or an, an owner that doesn't have, has all these projects, all these ideas, but doesn't have the technical bandwidth to go out and do it. So we yeah. can come in, take it, create a little grave, all that technical jargon. Um, and then talking with my mentor, talking with other guys in the industry, we started looking at Wisconsin and the, the world as a whole. And from a demographic standpoint, we're going to lose so many people. And and we're going to need to be making more and more things in the U.S. Yeah. So that parlayed this into what we now call the glass factory. And it's a process to take your existing staff um, and then get 30% more out of them. No No additional hires, no additional capital expenditures. That's awesome. Just uh, we take the assumption that, hey, your, your piece of equipment's running. Business owner says 80%. We say in reality, it should probably be about 60. Right. And then what it actually is, is about 20. <laughs> <laughs> and, and from there, it's it's big. The big thing is you, the everything we're doing, people do. Yeah. You know, we just have our own blocking and tech it, or tackling methodologies. And okay. um, we're, we're just going to continue to show up. Yeah, and and have that discipline to see them through. So we define those baselines, and then the big thing for us is we we try to empower the staff, kind of yeah. interpret and, and change that culture, in in prepping them for what's to come. That's awesome. That's so, awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. That's the skin. Uh, I I love it. Um. So
0: tell me, uh, I mean, you went to Iowa State, yep. right? Yep. Cyclones. Yes, sir. All right. And the other one's a Hawkeyes, yep. right?
1: All right. I, I always confuse them. So I apologize. You coming in from the Southwest and at least knowing that there's two differences.
0: <laughs> well, it's, I get, uh, all the time, uh, people ask if we're the, the, uh, Bearcats, right? You sure. have a is yeah. the Bearcats and, uh, we're the sun devils, right? Sure. Is you, um, but, yeah. uh, people always confuse them too. So I just, I like to at least
1: understand sure. what's going on out there. Um, but the other fun one is saying you go to school in Iowa, you get Idaho, Ohio, <laughs> Iowa. They're like, are you the
0: Vandals? Yeah. They're like, no, yeah. that's Idaho State. Brent yeah. <laughs> <an> Ames, Iowa. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um. So tell us about your journey. I, I mean, you know, you've talked to us about left hand and, and sure. what left hand does, but how did you I I mean, get to Wisconsin. You love jet ski, water ski Water ski, water ski beer and automation. how did you get here?
1: Sure. Uh well, growing up in Illinois, I, I actually did not want to live in Illinois after after college. Okay. So didn't fit the outside culture that I like, didn't fit uh, from just like a fiscal responsibility standpoint, yeah. state of Illinois has not run the best. And I just didn't want to be around it. Yeah. So I uh, still wanted to be close to family. And, and I had always had grown up summering in, in Wisconsin at lake houses and, and whatnot. Okay. I did an internship uh, halfway through school in Waukesha. Okay. So I got a little taste of, of what Wisconsin is like. And the, the first job opportunity I had was in Waukesha. How much? Reading have you done on a guy by the name of Peter Zion. Who? Peter Zion. None. He, again, a mentor of mine got me onto him. He's a geopolitical analyst. Okay. And looks at the world in three buckets. People, natural resources, and the geography between them. And his his stuff on YouTube, I've listened to a bunch of it now. And it is fascinating how he explains it from a very like engineering world constraint standpoint. We keep thinking this world, our world has infinite capacity. In reality, it doesn't. Yeah. And there's physical barriers between this things that we need raw material wise people. And the way he explains it's like, it's super interesting. And it really, um, it makes me want to not makes me want to, I will continue to double down on the U (laughs) S because if you look at, um, and I'm actually I'm doing a talk tomorrow on it's I call I'm, it's called the robot robots won't take your job, awesome. And it's it's five steps of it's what the glass factory is yeah. getting companies ready for the world of AI. Yeah, we're not we're not firing anyone. Everyone's going to be making more money. We're going to be working less. It's the only way we're going to have to do it. Yeah. Uh, but the way what Peter talks about is if you look at demographics of the world, there's going to be some major shifts in the next ten years. Oh, China's. Doubt going to fall apart they don't have the the 18 to 35 year old population that they thought they did yep turns out they think that they had miscounted by like 100 million people so all the widgets we think we're getting all of a sudden we're not going to find them as prevalent yeah russia their demographic has fallen off uh germany italy japan all those are aging out and they don't have the physical population regeneration of 2.1 or
0: more Two, two countries that uh, shock me when you look at the demographic data uh, one is Vietnam. Yep. And the other is Mexico. Uh,
1: what is Vietnam? Are they
0: growing? They're growing. And they've got that 18 to 35 sure. population. Uh, not Nobody's close to what China was, right? Sure. Or Japan or, sure. or any other manufacturing, historical manufacturing sure. powerhouse in Asia. But Vietnam is poised to sure. really do some amazing things for their economy, right? Sure. And and from an economic standpoint, they need it. They need it bad. They need to create uh, uh, a lot of these jobs. They're they're finally getting to a point where they
1: having that
0: manufacturing age workforce sure.
1: could drastically change oh, their. Sure. Outlook. Right, well, And you're right. That's exactly what Mexico is going to do. Absolutely. See, the labor rates, from what Peter Zion is saying, they're actually more affordable than China. Yeah. Yeah. So everything, what he's saying is this idea of that the global supply chain is going to continue to break down because the U.S. isn't patrolling with the Navy anymore, which is managing of all these waterways. So no, commerce isn't going to be as easy. Yep. Absolutely. And if you physically don't have the bodies to move, they're going to be reshored to to mexico so his prediction is the u.s is going to have to make 2x what we're making now
0: to keep up with global demand so how do do we in that same vein how do we prevent the race to the bottom because right now we're still we're we're undercutting each other when, when we're pricing things out right uh we're not being appropriately across the board and sure. treating people the way they should be sure. treated, giving them benefits. So, how do we avoid what we need? Know we need to do being that race to the bottom
1: yeah. to where it it is a zero sum game because that I don't is, want that to happen. That is an interesting viewpoint. One of which I have not thought about. Okay, so let me let me try to process this. Yeah, uh, hand to mouth here. So if we if we look at the premise of manufacturing in, in the U.S., where I, at least where I'm starting to focus is medium, small to medium-sized companies, sure. Targeting to start high mix, low volume job shops. Yep. If if we look and if we study historically what capital equipment is being uh, utilized at in machine metrics, they actually have a great rolling uh, year great. over year. Yeah. Um understanding of, and I think it's between 25 and 30% is wow. what machinery is being utilized. Wow. So what that tells me is there's still enough fat on oh. the pig to go after new work. You just have to be more efficient internally. Yeah. And if you increase that throughput, there's going to be more to go around, and you don't necessarily have to drop your shorts pricing-wise to go get the work. Right. You just have to be creative with how you're going to get it. So it's understanding what your capacities are. And then what I find fun is once you understand what that is, how do you motivate the sales team to go, hey, you know, in two weeks, we're going to have these openings, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, on second shift. What can you sell us on a quick turnaround? We don't have to be making a ton of money. But what if we're at least keeping those pieces of equipment active? Yeah. Because at that point, 5% profit is better than... Better than no. Nope. You're already paying for... Uh, friend of mine that i met a couple weeks ago he had said if we if we think about our everyone within the manufacturing world thinks about direct labor when you're manufacturing in reality unless you're laying people off in droves because you don't have any work you're paying for your guys to be there absolutely nine out of ten days why don't we just move that variable cost into the fixed cost yeah just say you know what i gotta gotta handle that not every month yeah and then any additional work you get is goes right to your bottom line. Absolutely. Uh,
0: that's interesting. So tell us more about this talk tomorrow. I, I, I think I derailed where you were no, going I, with
1: that. It doesn't matter where this conversation goes. I just, I, it's fun swapping stories.
0: Yeah. Um. But honestly, tell us more about the, the talk you're giving tomorrow.
1: So from my perspective, what I'm seeing in this small to medium size manufacturing world of what majority of the US economy is built from most companies are not ready for automation. Yeah. They don't have enough work for automation to make sense. And if you're any type of job shop where you're doing multiple setups a day, it's really hard to program that robot to work efficiently. It's just easier to throw Bill on the press for two hours. It's going to hammer out a thousand parts. Right. Or it would take three weeks to program a robot to do that. So what we're doing is we're starting from scratch, saying, telling our our co- telling our employees, this is where the world is going. We're gonna have less and less people to do this. We all want to make more money. We don't want to work overtime. If we can all agree on that, we make a couple. We'd make three or four like softball pitch questions of, do y'all want to make more money? Yep. Do y'all want to work less hours? And if we can get everyone to agree on that, then we say well, this is the only way to do it. Yeah. We have to make more things within less time. So the only way we start by doing that is you have to monitor your capital equipment. You have whatever measurement of productivity you have has to be accurate and it has to be passive.
0: Okay, so I have, uh, oops, I have a, a client who measures, you know, uses spindle utilization yeah. as a metric of success. Okay, uh, they, we worked really hard at trying to figure out what three KPIs yep. could measure their success. Sure. Um, one is revenue. Yep. One is um, scrap rate, right? Okay. Decreasing scrap rate. Yep. And the, the third is increasing stability Yep. right? Um, they are... Uh, how are those metrics different, right? I, I mean, I know how they're physically different because they're measuring different things, but there's got to be a correlation between yeah. all of this, sure. right? So,
1: yeah, it, yeah, they absolutely. Is. It, I,
0: I, it took me a while to get to that question, but sure. I think you know
1: where I'm trying to go with it. So the correlation that is, it's a great. Um, what I see from as like a consultant, and I don't really like the word consultant. Because I much rather go in and be a member of the team and, yeah. and and be in the trenches with everyone. But what you see from the outside looking in is a very—it's just a business. Yeah. You look at it simply, and so if let's let's say the the manufacturer is looking to do ten million dollars a year. Well, at some point you're recognizing revenue, right? Right. Typically, that's once a month at month end. Yeah. Okay, so that gives you a metric of month over month, if. You're not shipping air. So at some point you're shipping products, right? And those products typically are at some type of average order quantity of right. 50, 100, 250 parts per. Well, those parts are made somehow. Either you're welding things together, you're running parts on the CNC, uh, brake presses are going up and down, your laser has to be running. Right. At some point, that equipment has to be moving right. in order for those parts to be made. Yep. And for you to recognize revenue, that means you're shipping parts. Okay. So we you're 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 absolutely right. The the KPIs we kind of run to right now is this trifecta of we're obviously looking to hit some type of financial goal. To hit that financial goal, we need to perform some X amount per day, per week, per month, whatever that is. Yeah. So we're actually working towards the the contract manufacturing shops that I see is a lot of it's feast and famine. So they'll have work up to their eyeballs. Then the next week, it's pretty quiet. Well, in reality, they're, they're still doing, they're within a couple hundred thousand dollars of revenue month over month. Right. So that feast and famine really isn't as great as you think it is. Uh, but then from there, you're still making all these parts. Got it. So what we work to is just simple lean manufacturing, single piece flow. For your single piece flow, let's treat it as one job. Right. How do we get that job through the facility as quick as possible? And The the KPI or the metric is the three things we look at is what is total revenue shipped? There's a a job number, a total number of jobs associated. And from that total number of jobs is the total number of parts. Okay. So we know that there's a a threshold of capacity of how many parts you can physically make per week. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a job shop, you're going to see this wild range of revenues roll through the shop. So we do this like trifecta of we're going to do a better job of level loading week over week and understanding what revenue is actually flowing through the shop. So we want to hit a target number of call it 200,000 a week, 100,000 a week, whatever that is, that 200 K is going to be equivalent to 15 jobs and 1500 parts or whatever those numbers are. So every week when we run the production schedule and, and see, what is in our backlog? What do we have to ship this week? Does what we have to ship this week meet meet our ne- uh, our magic number? Okay. As far as parts and jobs, and does it match our revenue? Number? Yeah. So that's the game we're going to play going forward. I like it.
0: And, I like it and a lot. Then
1: from there, it's
0: I like it a lot. Um. So, tell us a, talk to us a little bit about Wisconsin because sure. Uh, I didn't really realize how innovative sure. of a place this was overall, sure. and uh, walking around the show today, uh, there's some pretty innovative companies that sure. live here in, in Wisconsin. Talk to us about why you think that is. Why, why has Wisconsin up in the northern part of the Russia sure. become this, this place where
1: innovation happens? Man, that's a great question. Of which I don't know the answer to. It's probably in the culture. It's in the fabric of the community. We've been making things here since World War II, really. Okay. So there's a lot of legacy of of making. And I think it's that Midwest scrappiness. Sure. There's a lot of pride in making of things. Yeah. And I think what what fascinates me is the diversity of what is made. There's so many industries that feed everyone talks about the Boeing's the big companies of the world a lot of those parts are made here in the Midwest yeah. and then shipped out elsewhere yeah. I don't know I I, I can't answer that it okay okay the innovative culture. I don't know <laughs> so what once you
0: uh, with, with left hand and, yep. and the glass factory once you start measuring the right things or yep. with, with your your clients what's the next step?
1: That is a great question. So we need to understand that we're getting good data to start. Once we know that, we we then utilize the existing sales and whatever production data you have. That's if you're reporting financials, it's going to give us a decent understanding yeah. of what's happening. And, and what I always see is the employee has a certain idea of what can be done. The owner has this grandiose goal of typically revenue or profitability, right. of which don't always correlate. So what we do is we take the existing data and we we keep, we create realistic improvement plans of let's do ten percent instead of working two hundred twenty minutes let's work for two hundred forty minutes. Got it. That's the stuff that will slowly increase, and then from there, it really starts from the top down. Of we try to we try to only partner with business owners that are looking to invest in their company. Okay. And and really invest in the employees. Yeah, yeah. So we have under we have. Um, uncovered, which I'm sure you would agree with, is there is this lack of understanding of how you actually run a business. Oh, 100%. huge siloed mentality of yeah. everyone's really good within their work center. Yeah, but once it's out of it, they don't understand what happens, and yeah. myself included. I, I am a self-taught business mm-hmm. person. I got a technical degree, and let right. me tell you, Iowa State didn't teach anything <laughs> about business until I went into the the minor entrepreneurial. Yeah. great, awesome program. Both both are awesome programs, but an engineer is taught to be an engineer and only an engineer. Yeah. So if we can assume that the, the assumptions we make are, hey, you're a profitable business. Everyone wants to make more money. Yep. And then uh, does your goal, what? It, hey, Mr. Business Owner, Miss Business Owner, what is your goal in the next five to 10 years? If it's you want to continue to see your company growing, well, this is the way we have to do it. Here's why. Got it. The employees we have today, you're going to have to keep them. Yeah. The only way you keep them is by investing in them. And yeah. like, not just financially, but being there for them. Absolutely. And yeah,
0: it's, I mean, you have to be a human, right? You have to treat them like human beings. They're not exactly. just numbers on the bottom line. And,
1: and everyone is super smart within their department. Yeah. But what's going to happen is if you've got 10 employees today, you're going to only be able to find seven in the yeah. next five to 10 years. Yeah. So Kim, that's doing supply chain, is going to have to do supply chain and a little bit of accounting. Yep. Bill, that's running the press, is going to have to help out with shipping. It, there's this cross functionality everyone's going to have to know what everyone else is doing yeah so to answer your question once we get everyone to buy in of this is where we're going we we do like fourth grade style education of how do you run a business really and so we get everyone in the classroom and do lunch and learns i like it and every two weeks we go through a different department i like it's it. very hands-on style of tomorrow when i'm doing my little presentation we're going to do an accounting seminar and Cash flow and we're gonna be counting beans. That's awesome. Showing how projects go in and out of the bank and what happens with rework or what happens if you buy all this material and then pay for payroll and then you don't get any projects hitting. What happens to your bank account? Wow. Like cash flow is so critical. Okay. And so very hands-on of well, the other stuff we'll do with supply chain, say you're a sheet metal company. Well, do you truly understand what aluminum is, what stainless is, what carbon steel is? We'll get samples, we'll do we'll get tin snips we'll cut all three material, we'll pass it around, really? we'll show like aluminum's a third the weight of steel, yeah. but it costs two times more, well, right. why is it? So the, the idea is that the like mini program we, want, we run within the glass factory is called left-hand learning. Okay. And it's, it's, it's the idea of we wanna build uh, technical empathy. Yeah. So everyone technically understands what other departments are doing. Yeah. And the goal is to create this curiosity of proactive thinking. I like it. Um, and I
0: assume those courses have all been created by you and your team. Yep. Yeah.
1: And and once again, we're not doing anything crazy, crazy right. innovative. We're just, we're utilizing lean principles and a good approach of we care about your team. Yes. Let's, let's make sure work is enjoyable.
0: I like that. So what what kind of cultural shifts do you think the industry needs to take to be able to adopt more AI and automation to-
1: Great question.
0: Make the the changes that we need to make to continue to thrive in this country.
1: My my hot take, as I said earlier in this episode, is most companies are not ready for automation. Right. And where it starts is you have to have a culture that's ready to adopt it and see the value of it, of, hey, we have to make a thousand widgets historically, We've only made 500 with one guy. We can't find another guy. So, why don't we invest in some piece of equipment that's going to help us get to that 1,000? Right. And there has to be a need and a demand for it. Uh, But the real start is you have to have solid data. Yeah. That data is going to be the driver of the business case, which allows you to invest in automation.
0: So, it sounds like your advice is don't postpone until it's absolutely necessary, right? Because I could see that happening too in our industry, right? Where people will say, I need a thousand. I'm only capable of 500. Can't find a second or third shift person. Now I'm forced to buy into automation and AI and and that kind of stuff. But how can we create that case for change when people are unable to see that need in the future, mm-hmm. does that make sense? Is- yeah.
1: Um. It's. I, I think it's like it's. It's like any flywheel. The inertia is going to be slow to start. Yeah. And if you understand that cadence of, hey, I'm I'm an employee at a cool company. My my employer cares about me. Yeah. We're tracking our metrics of, hey, last year we were doing 100 jobs a week, and this year we're consistently doing 120 jobs a week. Wow. But this, I'm just speculating yeah. right now. No, yeah. So we're seeing what's happening when we invest in the team and whatnot. Well, the next case is we're, we're going to have that law of diminishing returns, right? We will eventually find the true capacity of our human capital team. Got it. And then the next step is how do we slowly build in what people call additive manufacturing processes? It. So it's not necessarily a robot running the machine, it's how do you buy a tower laser where you can program have a, a ship's worth of parts and run it on second ship yeah so that w- when you get in on first shift you have all these parts ready to be broke absolutely so now you're not using your your labor or you're, you're not utilizing your labor on the the laser now you can utilize that labor laser laser labor <laughs> oh that picture. was say that three times fast <laughs> man um and move it over the press and
0: yeah so how do you keep that human element alive, though, when, when you are bringing so much more automation into it? I think it's form? a
1: necessity. Yeah, Your team has to be empowered to want to do it Yeah, see why it's so important. Got it. And, and So it's any
0: like any other change management.
1: Yeah. It's like it's, the, it has to be cons- yeah. consistent, boots on the ground, discipline. You're talking about it every day yeah. and you're showing why it's so important. Sure. Of, hey, I want to pay you guys more, yeah. but in reality, this job is only worth X amount of dollars per hour. Yeah. If you show me how we can make more parts per per day or per week or per month, like that is the business case for you to make more money. Yeah. And then at at the same time, we're going to continuously upskill you. Right. You're going to be a press break operator, but then you're going to be not just running one machine. We're going to teach you how to run three at the same time.
0: So, do you, uh, does uh, the glass factor, uh, left hand learning, does, do you guys take care of that upskilling as well? I mean,
1: I wouldn't say directly. Okay. We we can help, but we don't have any built out uh, curriculum for that yet. Okay. It's more of like giving. It, it's allowing employees to turn the light on. And say, yeah. oh, hey, I can go to school for this. Or at some point, hey, Mister Business Owner, I think we have a business case here to yeah. bring in a cobot to help me load parts. Or or what if we? Hey, what if we? I see we're running this part three days a week yeah it looks like our job log we're going to be running this for two years we have a contract what if we were to invest in tooling and invest in cobot and run the same part in parallel with me three days a week got it now we run twice as many parts with the same guy it's that creative thinking of it's not just out of it's out of necessity we have to do
0: it so is that helping create i mean One of the most repetitious words that I hear when working with clients and prospective clients about what kind of culture they want in the future, innovation is one that they all say that they want to create, but very few companies are able to actually build a culture that celebrates innovation, right? Because we are in an industry that a lot of us have prints that are 50 years old that yeah. we're still making based off of, sure. right? And it's really hard uh, government projects, DOD work. It, sure. it it's a, takes nearly a, an act of God to get sure. that changed, right? So yeah. how do we create these uh, these innovation pathways and, and create these cultures of
1: innovation when we may not
0: have the ability yeah.
1: to do so, right? Ooh, great question. I would say... It is changing the way you think about innovation. Okay. Um, I We have specifically geared left-hand engineering to be adaptive and follow wherever the opportunity is. Yeah. And so because you're a machine shop or because you're a fab shop, doesn't mean you have to play in this sandbox all the time. Yeah. Why can't you go get the DOD work? You think that's 100% of your capacity? Well, we do some process improvement and open up 25%. Yeah. Well, that 25%, that's... That allows you to go play in a different sandbox. I like it. Why don't you motivate your team this this culture of There's a, a guy who I actually recommended you to talk to. I think he's going to reach out. Uh, Peter Rathman. Okay. He he owns and operates Alice Manufacturing. Alice. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Right over here in West Dallas, uh, they do big, huge machining really? parts. Okay. And and what he was saying is, he has this culture of the whole company is a culture of selling. So everyone within the company understands how and why things are sold. Yeah. So the the programmer, the CNC guy, the supply chain person, all understand what the customer is looking for. Yeah. So the inputs of how we're quoting X, Y, and Z, it's already aligned to making the sale. So the same thing is with that culture of curiosity of, hey, 25%, I've got a buddy or I've got a brother that makes all these parts in this little industry. We might be able to make this with, Buying a $10,000 piece of equipment. Right. Hey, Ken, what do you think? Should we give this a shot? Yeah. Of this is the four walls we work in. Our only goal is to push more, more things through that facility.
0: Yeah. Matt, um, one topic that comes up on a lot of the episodes of the podcast is the gig economy within manufacturing, right? So we, we talk a lot about how. Um, there are opportunities. If if you're willing to go spend a hundred thousand dollars on a college loan, right? Yeah. Why not spend $50,000, buy a Tormac machine, throw it in your garage, power it up, sure. go on Zometry, get a couple of, uh, winning bids and start sure. producing out of your house. Right. <laughs> Which I still think is an awesome thing that, that people yeah. can start doing. Um, if they, instead of going to school, instead of going to work for the man or, or after they're done working for the man, right. If they want to start their own gig, it's a viable way. How can audit, how can the future, which is automation and AI and all of this stuff that we've been talking about today, how can that help that small one or two person garage shop be even more successful? Good question.
1: Uh, so. What we, the glass factory for us is a five step process, of which we might change to three steps. Five might be too much to okay. talk about. <laughs> uh, but step four is once we educate everyone, step three is education. Step four is we empower the team yeah. to take that pilot program and deploy it throughout the whole facility. Right. And once you do that, you achieve what we call manu- manufacturing transparency. You can look into that facility and see exactly where all the machinery is at. Where your, capacity, where your capacity is going to be. And then you can pass that transparency onto your customers and your suppliers. Got it. So what Amazon is doing, where you can log in and follow the blue dot to when your package is being delivered, yeah. every manufacturing company will be able to do that. You yeah. just have to build the data set to do so and then the infrastructure to build it out. It's basically the Domino's pizza tracker, right? I. It's funny you mentioned that. It is in my presentation, Mark. <laughs>
0: Is it really? Yes.
1: That's awesome. So to answer your question about AI, machine learning, all that stuff, it is the future without a doubt. Yeah. But all of these companies manufacturing wise have to prepare for it. Sorry. The software company can be fast and nimble because they have, they don't, they're invisible. Their product is invisible. Yeah. Manufacturing is slow to turn, Yeah. but it's the base of our economy. Absolutely. So there's this adaptation that's going to have to happen. Uh, but the guy that's running the gig economy out of their, uh um, out of their garage, where I actually see automation, AI, and machine learning is my bold statement is it's going to replace office jobs, not manufacturing jobs.
0: I I agree.
1: So if you are, let's, I always look at things ultimately boil down to time. Yeah. If you're running 40 hours a week and, and you want to be making parts in your garage, you ultimately need to be pushing boxes out of that garage to ship and recognize revenue. Right. Well, where are you, where are you spending your time? Right. Are you spending your time 40 hours a week on the machine making parts or are you spending 15 or 20 of it in the office trying to get quotes, trying to process material, all that stuff? That's where automation, that's where AI and machine learning is really going to help is how do you automate the sales process, make it as easy as possible? How do you automate uh, your supply chain so that you have some type of algorithm or machine learning where you can reach out to all of your supply chain and say, I need... X material delivered by X date with this amount of tonnage or pounds. When can you get it here? Yeah. So that you don't physically have to be doing it. You can be focusing on making parts.
0: I love it. I love it.
1: Um, What are three things? uh, This
0: is a question I ask everybody, right? Yeah. What are three things that either you've done internally at left hand to change the culture? Yep. Align the values, right? Sure. Or... What are three things that you think the industry can do to change the the culture of the industry? Either or, you can answer whichever I, I think direction both you want. Of to. Them,
1: both of them uh, coincide and kind of uh, come to a, a point is, like, we have this, how do I phrase it? Leadership is really hard. Leadership is hard. And no one really trains you how to be a good leader yeah especially in a shop especially in a shop I and mean, they typically promote the most productive guy to run the shop yep so you take your best guy on the machine put him in a position where he's never managed never led before yep doesn't like working with people and defaults to the way his manager
0: his first manager treated or, him or or
1: the way he wants to be treated right exactly so i look at it as and i i reflect on this a lot is i am i'm young growing as a leader myself, and like we just have to continuously and ridiculously double down on our. Yeah. They're going to continue to f up, yep. as my mentor says. People are messy; they're always going to be messy. You just got to lean into that and expect it, and and hope that you doing a good job is going to eventually want them to stay. That's awesome. And so, from my perspective, mid-level management and even executive level level leadership. Everyone is too focused on, which is, which is kind of ironic. They're too focused on the metrics yeah, and they're not focused on the people yeah. of, of working with them and making sure they're heard. Yeah. And it's hard and myself included, it's really hard to do when you're day in and day out, like in client work, really technical stuff. And then you have to change hats and be like, okay, I got to help this guy through a coaching situation. Yeah, Absolutely. So I think you just have to, leaders have to build time in for yeah. it, and that's hard to do. Yeah,
0: I agree. Um, what haven't I asked you, Matt?
1: I think that that covers everything. All right. What, Who's um, your mentor? You keep I, saying my mentor. Yeah, my mentor. Keep him anonymous. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, his name is Kent Lorenz. Kent Lorenz? Yeah, and he's speaking tomorrow, actually, uh, at an AI panel. Asieta. Uh, he used to, Yeah. he used to run it. Yeah. Okay. I, I think it's called a Acida, Yeah. yeah. I've, I've never been
0: able to say it right. So I apologize. Acida, yeah. and anybody else maybe listening. I'm supposed to chat with Ken tomorrow. Uh, so
1: tell yeah. him we talked. He's, he's an awesome guy. He, um uh, he is an engineer that is very approachable yeah. and sees the world in these big problems and can boil them down into very simple engineering solutions. That's awesome. I dig it so
0: well, man. Thank you very much for being on today. Yeah, appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for bearing with me as okay. I fumbled through this mess of technology. We're wearing lavalier microphones on one uh, receiver because I couldn't get the rest of it to work. But using my phone, using my laptop, it, it's a wild setup. And, and thank you know, you- what?
1: I live in the world of product development. It's You get it to work, doesn't matter how you got it to work. Absolutely.
0: I've got a pile of technology next to us (laughs) here. It's hilarious. Um, uh, So, again, thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Uh, There was some amazingly valuable insights on the intersection of AI, automation, and culture in the manufacturing industry. Uh, It's given me a lot to think about, and I'm sure that our listeners uh, are also... uh, Thinking, processing everything that they've heard. So, if you're craving more, and let's be uh, uh, if you're craving more, and let's be honest, after a chat like that, who wouldn't be? Head over to our website, manufacturingculturepodcasts.com There, you'll find all of our past episodes, at least the last eight of them. You'll see show notes and some additional resources to help keep you inspired. Uh, also, don't forget that. You any of this would not be possible without the generous support from our sponsor, Spironi. Uh, they're not just supporters of the podcast, they're visionaries in their own right who believe in the power of a positive, innovative company culture. So, a huge thanks to Spironi for making this episode and our future episodes happen. Now, here's my ask for all of you listeners out there. If today's episode resonated with you, please share it with your friends, your colleagues, your grandma, uh, your boss, anyone who you know who's passionate about uh, manufacturing and, and culture, uh, as we are. And if you've got a minute, please rate and review the show. Your support keeps this amazing community growing and helps keep us, uh, delivering the content that you have grown to enjoy. Uh, until next time, folks, keep making things and have a great day. Thank you.